Hey, I'm Dano, and this is the Read Aloud Dinner Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping family units grow in love together by teaching them how to read aloud as a family. Hey, could you do me a favor? Could you go to the whatever the rating is or wherever it is on whatever you're listening and rate this podcast and give me like some feedback. If you've rated this before, please rate again. Give me what you want. That's the way that I teach. I have students give me feedback. There's just so much stuff to cover. It would really help if you're like, hey, could you get this or or um, could you talk about this? I'd love to do that. So hey, drop that in the description. I'll take a read and then we'll get to it. Doesn't matter what stars you give me. That's not what this is about. It's about what you need. So what are we reading about? What are we reading about? Well, kind of, because I'll be reading a little bit. What are we learning about today? Well, we're gonna talk about the PISA and how it correlates with reading. Maybe you haven't heard the, about the PISA before, but it's I think it's pretty interesting. But before we do all that, First, a poem. The poem we're going to read today is by another one of my favorite poets. I introduced you to him last week, but his name is Paul Lawrence Dunbar, an African-American poet. And he writes in diction, and he, frankly, is a master. And so I want you to listen to this poem. It's written in um, verse form, which is really impressive. And then listen to what he does. Look up the poem and see how it's written. It's it's really complicated. And it'd be a really fun thing to try at the table, especially maybe like during Black History Month or something, just to try to, he wanted to preserve diction, the diction of what he was growing up. And he wanted to kind of lock that in place so you could hear what his life was like at that, you know, at his, at his time. And I think he did a great job containing this time capsule. So we're going to read In the Morning by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Lias, Lias, bless the Lord. Don't you know the days abroad? If you don't get up, you scamp. There'll be trouble in this camp. Tink I gwine to let you sleep while I makes your boat and keep. That's a putty howdy do. Don't you hear me? Lias, you... But if I come cross this floor, you won't find no time to snow. Daylight all us shining in while you sleep. Why, it's a sin. Ain't the candlelight enough to burn out without a snuff? But you go the morning through, burning up the daylight too? Lias, don't you hear me when I call? No use turning to this dead wall. I can hear the mattress squeak. Don't you hear me when I speak? This here clock done struck off six. Caroline, bring me them all sticks. Oh, you down, sir? Huh, you down? Look here, don't you dare to frown. Make yourself and wash your face. Don't you splatter all the place. I got something else to do, so I just cleaning after you. Take that coma, fix your head. Looks just like a feather bed. Look here, boy. I let you see. You shan't roll your eyes at me. Come here, bring me that off strap. Boy, I'll whip you till you drap. You done felt yourself too strong and you surely got me wrong. Sit down at that table there. Just you whimper if you dare. Every morning on this place seemed like I must have lose my grace. Fold your hands and bow your head. Wait until the Bethlehem said. <sighs> Lord, have mercy on our souls. Don't you dare to touch them rolls. 
Bless this food we gonna eat. You sit still, I see your feet. You just try that trick again. Gin us peace and joy. Amen. Now, I didn't do that poem justice, um, but it's a fun one. And Paul Lawrence Dunbar, I mean, I was reading literally, um, I mean, it was like Gwine, G-W-I-N-E. It was, it was a ton of fun. So if you haven't checked out Paul Lawrence Dunbar, please do so. What are we doing today, right? How does, what is the PISA and how does it correlate with reading? So let's start with that first thing. What is the PISA? The PISA is an international test that is given to, I think, about 70-ish countries. And their job is just to basically see how countries, who is the best at teaching reading. And, and, um, and we'll see who's the top. So I'm going to read a little bit about what the PISA is, what it does, and just to kind of give you some things that they're looking at or what they care for. So this is the 2018 PISA when they tested students in high schools, I believe, and um, well, 15 year olds. So let me read this. Why is reading key to the 21st century citizens and societies? So I'm reading right now. In 2012, PISA asked 15-year-olds how much time they spent on the internet. In 2018, PISA asked the same question. The data reveals that internet use in that age group has rocketed by 66%, almost the equivalent of the average adult work week across um, the PISA countries. The increased share of internet users worldwide is changing not only how people interact with others, but also how they interact with texts. People now access information more through digital devices where they once did so in print or by talking to other people. The rise of digital technology means that people need to be more selective in what they read due to the vast quantities of information available at the click of a button. Reading is increasingly embedded into a faster-paced digital and screen-based culture. News in the real-time 24-7 and social media reactions spread across the globe in a matter of seconds. At the same time, disinformation and fake news are jeopardizing democracies that function poorly when citizens are not well-informed or worse, misled. Disinformation is not unique to digital technologies but the internet spreads and amplifies its impact. Students need to learn how to think critically, assess the accuracy of information on the internet, and solve problems on their own more than ever. So that's a little bit about what they're after. And yes, they talk about like the large increase in internet usage in class, in internet usage in classrooms. I think you'd find it rather astounding. Um, so how does the PISA assess reading? The OECD program for international student assessment, PISA, is a survey that assesses students' skills and what they can do with their skills. PISA 2018 focused on the assessment of reading. Reading was also the major domain in the 2000 and 2009 
Although reading is part of all PISA cycles, the reading assessment and the analytical framework receive a thorough revision when it is in the major domain. PISA allows trend comparisons in students' reading proficiency across countries, while revisions in the PISA reading framework reflect how the nature of reading has changed over the last two decades. Readers generally, sorry, readers generate meaning in response to a text by using previous knowledges, knowledge processes and strategies. These processes and strategies vary with context and purpose. For example, students may use different processes and strategies to interpret, extend pieces of continuous text such as novels or essays than when they navigate through information on the internet in search of facts. Even textbooks that have traditionally been examples of extended pieces of continuous text are being transformed into a repository of documents with many inserted tasks and less um, linear that are le- and less um, linear linearity. So basically, that it's falling to di- digital digitalization or digitalism is what's happening. So how does how does the what is the definition of the PISA reading framework for 2018. I'm reading now. PISA 2018 defines reading as understanding, using, evaluating, reflecting on, and engaging with texts in order to achieve one's goals, to develop one's knowledge and potential, and to participate in society. Reading is not just the ability to decode written words, which is typically acquired during childhood, but a malleable set of skills that individuals build on throughout life. PISA definitions of reading have changed over time to reflect changes in society, economy, culture, and technology. Since PISA 2000, the concept of reading has also changed to reflect the progress and the theoretical understanding of what it means to know how to read, which encompasses cognitive, metacognitive, and effective um, motivational dimension of behavior. For instance, reading in a digital world requires continuously evaluating quality and validity of different sources, navigating through ambiguity, distinguishing between facts and opinions, and constructing knowledge. This increasingly requires individuals to acquire effective strategies, to think about, monitor, and adjust their activity to reach a particular goal, also known as metacognitive reading strategies, and motivate themselves to persevere in the face of difficulties. So that's a little bit about what they do. So what about the results? So I wanted to give that definition of reading before I jump into, so this is what they're looking at so that you know like what the standard is. So not just like, not just how like, um, um, see the cat run more than that, but being able to see, you know, read and understand for use um, to then apply that, to maybe um, extend that knowledge, and then to know what is true or not based on logic and such. So here are the top countries, and I'll tell you where the United States falls, and you're, you'll hear it as I go down. So this is the this is the PISA for 2018, and these are the top countries. Some of you may laugh based on. Um, that definition of, of um, <laughs> some of you may laugh based on that definition, 
of reading because the top country is China, Singapore, China, and um, actually the top one, two, three, four, um, five countries are essentially China. And how interesting that, you know, China is considered, um, you know, the standard for misinformation and understanding what's going on in, in the world. So this is an international study um, based on their definition. It's interesting to see China on top. I know that traditional war between um, a, com- a communist ideology and a, and a uh, free world ideology and my bias there, but um, I'm just going to say it's interesting that Singapore, you know, essentially, you know, Singapore, China, Hong Kong, and then um, China, you know, just a different province. Um, Macau, Macau is the top five um, for this PISA test. And what's interesting about Chinese education, um, I remember speaking with an English teacher from China, is that China basically um, standardizes all of their curriculum. Where the United States believes in a lot of freedom of education, China believes in kind of a standardization. And there's nothing wrong with standardization. Um, I mean, it can work. Clearly, it can work. So what happens is um, the teacher I talked to, he has a formal curriculum that is chosen by the Chinese government. The books that he, that he can teach and um the books that they're required to read, as well as what he's to teach. He's basically given his curriculum, and then his job is to teach that. And then there is a jockeying of positions um, based on authority. So his boss, he reports to, and um, he has to do what his boss says. His students sit in road desks. They sit with their backs straight, and they listen to what he says, and if they disobey, then there's um, there's a consequence for that. And um, so what he says goes. And so you could see that as a traditional lecture classroom where students, um, again, sit in rows, listen to their teacher. He tells them what to do. He gives them the material and then they learn it. That's um, from what I gained as now, maybe that's over that's overly simplistic of Chinese education, but I'm actually I'm actually speaking to that as a strength that there are um, that it's that that method can be very effective. And I think Singapore, of course, has a little bit more freedom um, and their their prosperity as a country attests to that. And um but that type of teaching, um, I think I think we we say no, that's wrong. Like you you can't teach like that. And in a way, I mean, I've taught like that in some settings, and it's 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 pretty effective. So, for some people that are um, kind of against stru- you know, highly structured education, um, it's it work. It can work especially if you do it in a certain way. And what China has done is that they've, they've done this, they've, they've 
analyze test scores, they've seen how children have done, and then what they do is they hone or they modify that curriculum to be the best that they can. So they have multiple practitioners doing the exact same thing. If something doesn't line up, then they go and they see what what's going wrong. They modify it or they change it to so that everyone does better. Now, they're, they're, they have a country of over a billion people. We have a country of 300,000 people. So China is roughly three times as large as the United States. I think that um, as much as we may disagree with China's um, their philosophy on government and even some of the things that they do, we need to um, always keep an open mind at how they achieve their results. And then, yes, absolutely, are they achieving those results fairly? But um, I've seen that type of method and I've seen it work very well. So I'm not going to throw China's dominance. Um, not going to discount China's dominance completely. Okay. The other countries, though, that are beneath. So number six, Estonia. Number seven, Canada. Number eight, Finland. Number nine, Ireland. Number 10, Korea. Number 11, Poland. Number 12, Sweden. 13, New Zealand. Um, 14, I think it's the 14, United States. And then 15, um, the United Kingdom, Japan, Australia, Chinese, um, Taipei, Denmark, Norway, Germany, Slovenia, Belgium, France. So here we see that the United States you know, we are toward the top with the United Kingdom in in our, in our reading, in our reading ability. We are not the top. And what things can we learn from reading from these other countries? Finland has actually been higher up on the list. Um, Canada is a new addition to the list up there. I'm going to tell you an interesting story about Canada because I saw this here and I asked a Canadian student I had in my class and I said, hey, how, I just saw on a certain test that Canada has a different reading philosophy. I just want to um, ask you a question about what you do, what you did for reading in high school. She said, well, it wasn't really that big. We just, um, every Tuesdays and Thursdays, we had library time. I said, well, what was library time? Well, we had to read for two to three hours in the library on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We could read any book we wanted. And I said, this was in high school? She said, yeah. She looked at me like I was stupid. And I said, no, um, that that's really um, informative. Thank you so much. And she said, oh yeah, I brought a, I, I even, she was a, she came to play sports. She's like, I even brought a, a stack of books from home. And I, instead of watching TV, I just like to read instead. <laughs> and, um, and I'm with this student, I mean, they weren't like a, I mean, they weren't like the best student in the class. I mean, I mean, like this was like a very normal student, but yet this student had an incredible reading ability because of the country she came from. And I, I literally thought if I had tried to make high school students read for two to three hours every day in a library, that there would be anarchy, complete anarchy in the library. So I was impressed that Canada or that province, because di different provinces have different 
perspectives that Canada had that sort of culture for reading. And I just kudos to them. So kudos to you, Canada. But um, Finland, we know a lot about. What Finland does is they... So this is interesting. So Finland's interesting. So a lot of times I ask, is this um, the whole population? And what do you mean the whole population? So China doesn't... Mm, I'm going to be try to be careful. I don't believe China educates everyone in their country. Maybe from different stories I've heard that let's say like the United States puts a high, high um, stress on disability. So if a student is struggling or has a disability, we really believe in mainstreaming and really avoiding like we don't really put too many students in special schools. There are special schools and they're very helpful, but the United States doesn't like to do that as much. Where China does, where China I don't think mainstreams as much as the United States. Again, a different philosophy. So where the United States is trying to educate as many people as possible, I don't think that's necessarily true for other countries. So Finland could be, Finland and Germany, these could be two examples of, so Finland, they have two tracks. So you, um, you're taught reading and stuff in school and, and they have a brilliant model for how they do it. But then after you hit middle school, you are given a test and based on how you do on that test, you can either go toward a trades path or you can go toward the academic path. Now they, they say they allow for students to switch back and forth. So if you're in the academic, you can go into the trades, but I really question how many students who are actually put into the trades path or actually go to the academic. Um, that, that, that's a question I have for Finland. And then my question is, does the PISA test the students that are on the trade track or just the academic track. Because if the United States did that, like if we said, okay, we're gonna take these students and we're gonna we're gonna shift them toward the trades, then we would eliminate what we could call quote unquote lower academic performing students and only have our best students forward. So we need to be careful about the data and what the data is there to say. Um, having done some data in college, um, I was. I learned that data always tells stories, and sometimes the stories that they tell is not necessarily true. So we got to be really careful about that. So, um, yeah. So in the, and then and then of course we talked about the United Kingdom yesterday in England and phonics and the war there between phonics and should they keep phonics or not. You know what's Canada's philosophy? Canada has a, a more balanced approach. Um, as a whole, yes, they generally teach phonics, but they don't have like a, um, as far as I know, they don't have like a department of education like we do here. So people that want to like throw out the department of education and some people would say, oh, that would be a terrible thing. Everything would go down. Not necessarily. Um, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, but, um, Canada doesn't really have that. Each province kind of handles its own. So you, maybe you could break up. United States into our, you know, we have di different districts, actually, the United States is broken up into, we already have like education districts, and maybe those districts handle 
the education needs for that group of students. So the districts or that province says, okay, this is what we're going to try to do for education in our area. So in Texas, right, that, you know, the, the southern countries where there's a maybe a higher influx of immigrant populations, or maybe where Spanish is, you know, maybe spoken half the time compared to the north, maybe they have a different way to approach it than, let's say, what Minnesota and what, what some of the northern districts do. So, um, so rather than like no child left behind coming out and maybe constricting some, some schools and, and basically saying you must do it this way, you would have a province or a, a district, um, a state district that are composed of, um, five to 15 states controlling that area, which is what Canada does. And, um, to some success. And then um, Poland is an interesting thing. Um, I don't know exactly what they're doing in Poland. Um, my little brother teaches English in Korea, and they're, um, yeah, they're a little bit, um, you know, they're really kind of really a mix between kind of that standard Asian education and you know kind of free America education. But um, obviously, Korea is doing incredibly well. Ireland. I looked in to see what Ireland was doing, um, why they were so high up on that list, and I couldn't really find too much about their education. A, um, a lot of individual, a lot of individualized education. So here we have China, which is more standard. We have one education coming out of one central office, kind of like a department of education. And then we have some other countries that don't have a centralized government um, pushing out curriculum, but more um, determined by smaller provinces or teachers. What does this tell us? I have to go soon, but what does this tell us? This tells us that reading is, is really, it's really open to interpretation as unhelpful as that may sound. Um, that you can be successful in a strict kind of authoritative model. You can be open in a free model, but it's kind of like, like how are the students doing? And this is, this is why, um, and China would disagree with me maybe, but I mean, I think, I mean, China loves their people. Otherwise, you know, you might disagree, but China wants to succeed as a country. They want to do what's best. And if you look at communist um, philosophy is really for the people. Like this is the People's Republic of China. This is for this. This is so that that we can we can have some sort of security. And if you look at um, a communist uh, free world debate, the communist position is you know very collective, and in and almost looks at the United States as cruel how we treat um, our you know universal health care kind of these things like we we don't really have this why would you let this happen we take care of our citizens where we look at them and you say well look how much you restrict freedom you jail people that that anger you you so let's push all that aside and let's just look at their philosophies and how they actually accomplish their goals so let's just assume both countries love their love their students and how are they going about doing that. Um, I can say that, um, again, from stories that, um, I do prefer the United States education system better. A uh, example is one of, um, I was part of a college that sent, a 
we actually had a Chinese sister city. So we would send our faculty over to China and um, China actually had like the state of state of the art automotive department and they had all the best tools there, but the Chinese workers didn't know anything about how to use them. So the students were literally clueless on what to do. And um, the, the teachers that were coming back said, you know, my student with a very low education can do this and the Chinese couldn't. They couldn't, um, they had really poor, um, they had really poor cause effect skills, um, um, cause effect critical thinking was, was, was really low. Um, with, with what he saw and, and, and he would several of teachers talked about not only for the automotive but they wanted to do some band stuff some some band things and like they don't know what they're doing they don't know what, what they, they, they get mod, they get schematics from other countries and they don't know how to they don't know why it works and they don't know how to do it so that's a little bit more about some, some of the education from China um, that I've heard firsthand about what's going on over there. Um, I don't think it was too biased. I mean, they went, I mean, you know, just like when you go and visit another country, like, oh, we went to Germany and we were super impressed. So we went to China and we, we, this is what we saw. It just something, just something to know. I want to slide that in there. Well, that'll be it for this episode of the read aloud dinner podcast. Hey, I thank you so much for listening to me and spending time with me and learning about the pizza and some thoughts about what the data said and about education and maybe just messing you up even more but that's what education does and that's what we love about it when we learn something we have more questions and i hope that you look into reading and you try different approaches and you keep your mind open this is dano this is the read a lot dinner podcast hey go and read something to your kid today bye